Welcome to the Westminster Pulpit, an extension of the worship ministry at Westminster Presbyterian Church in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Please contact us for permission before reproducing this message in any format, and may this sermon nurture your life in a meaningful way as we proclaim our Savior. Tonight we have a special treat. Our young adults intern, Zach File, is going to be preaching from God's Word this evening. Uh, Zach is a graduate from Liberty University, and he's currently a uh, a seminary student at Reformed Theological Seminary. I met Zach about a year and a half ago, and uh, Zach and I work closely. We meet weekly. Uh, Zach just has a real heart for the Lord. He's sort of exploring his ministry gifts, and so we have a real privilege and opportunity to, to learn from Zach as he opens the word for us this evening. Well, it is my joy and privilege to be preaching this evening for you all. Um, We will be looking at a wonderful passage this evening. It is Hebrews 10, 19 through 25. So if you want to turn in your Bibles to Hebrews 10, 19 through 25. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the word of Jesus— By the new and living way that he opened for us, through through the curtain that is through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and a full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Let's ask the Lord's blessing on the preaching of his word. Dear Father in heaven, we um, come this evening to learn about your word, to learn about um, the glorious Savior that we have through Christ, and I pray that you would be with us as we learn about your word, and I pray that it would penetrate into our hearts as well. And thank you for this wonderful evening and wonderful day that we can worship you and praise you. And in Jesus' name, amen. So we have all experienced a loss of assurance of faith. It may, be, it may be from the mere feeling that God is far away from you in your life. Or maybe it's the feeling of shame and guilt over sin that we believe can never be forgiven. Maybe we have difficulty accepting the reality that God is gracious and loving as he says in his word. Maybe we forget that God has cast our sins as far as the east is from the west. Maybe our experience with anxiety and depression that makes resting in your salvation very difficult. At the core of your depression is the feeling that you are not saved. It may be the feeling that Christ can never love a sinner like you. Possibly you feel the weight of your sin like a Christian in, pilgr- like Christian in Pilgrim's Progress, but don't know how to take that heavy burden off your, uh, of sin off your back. 
You can say with Paul in, seven, in Romans seven twenty four, O wretched man that I am. Maybe it is that you can confidently say that you have never known a day that you did not know Jesus, but you believe that there may be something wrong with you if you don't have a drastic testimony of coming to Christ from spiritual darkness. Maybe you feel as if you are not as passionate about Christ like other, another brother and sister in Christ who had a drastic conversion experience. You compare yourself to them and think that maybe you aren't a Christian if you are not always passionate about living for Jesus. Additionally, hate, Satan hates it when the Lord's children are resting in their assured faith. Not only does our own flesh tell us lies about the character of God and salvation, but Satan also hates it when God's children are passionate about Jesus and are assured of Christ's love for his children. Others have been disobedient to God and live in sin even though they still profess to be, believe- to be believers. This passage is for you, brothers and sisters. It encourages you to come back to Christ and put your desires for him instead of your sin. Brothers and sisters, Hebrews 10, 19 through 25 is a message for all of you. If you are overwhelmed from your sin and feel the need to come to Christ, come to him in repentance and faith. This is a message for you. In many regards, this passage is the application of all the passages that came before it in Hebrews, and an introduction to all the passages that come after it in Hebrews as well. We will deepen our understanding of this passage by exploring five points, two main points of, um, two main points, and then three points of application. The five points are: we have confidence to approach God. We have a great high priest. And then there are three let us statements, which is let us draw near, let us hold fast, and let us consider. Let's explore the first point. We can, f- we can have confidence to approach God found in verses 19 and 20. Imagine that you are a Jewish priest in the time of Jesus. You know the teacher named Jesus who came and who claimed to be God. You knew about his miracles and his healings. You knew that he was captured by the Romans and was on trial by the Jews. He must merely be another one of those teachers who claimed to be a Messiah, you think to yourself. Did you believe it? Maybe, but who were you to say? The Romans were still ruling, and there was no need in sight, or no end in sight of Roman rule. This must not be the king that we restore Israel to his former glory. Until one day, an incredible thing happened. The veil or curtain was torn in half from top to bottom to, from the, in the temple between the most holy place and the, and the holy place in the temple. Matthew 27, 51 through 53 says, confirms this when it says, And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two um, from top to bottom, and the earth shook, and the rocks were split. The tombs were also opened, and many bodies of the saints were raised. And coming out of their tombs after his resurrection, they went into his holy city and appeared to many. 
You are filled with awe and cannot believe your eyes. Although you did not understand these events, you thought to yourself that maybe Jesus was the Son of God like he said he was. There is much significance with the writer of Hebrews mentioning the curtain in this passage. Since the most holy place is unveiled, since since the most holy place is unveiled through the blood of Jesus, we can have confidence to come to God in prayer and be with him. Miraculously, we do not need a high priest to mediate between us and our holy God. We do not need all the tedious sacrifices since we have the ultimate sacrifice founded in the blood of Jesus. Founded in the blood of Jesus. Thus, there, we do not, um, thus, the word therefore in this passage is focusing on what came before, where it talks about Christ being the ultimate forgiveness of sins. It's a sacrifice for sins. Fellow believers, we do not need to look to someone or something to give us the forgiveness of sins. We look only to Christ who forgives us our sins. Additionally, we have the invitation to come to the most holy place through Christ. This mention of the most holy place is very intentional. The high priest and only the high priest could go into the most holy place, and that only once a year on the Day of Atonement. Hebrews 9, 6-7 explains this reality. These preparations having thus been made, the priests go regularly into the first section, performing their ritual duties, but into the second, and only the high priest goes, and he but once a year, and not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the unintentional sins of the people." Christ, however, has created a way for us to come to him without doing any sacrifices. We have unlimited access to Christ. Through the blood of Jesus, the curtain is torn, and we have direct access to worship and pray to God directly. Hebrews 9.12 says, He entered once and for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats or calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption for us. Brothers and sisters, the reality is that the torn curtain gives us courage to come into Jesus's presence as a child clings to his or her father. So we have seen that Christ has provided the way for us to boldly approach him, We see also in verse 21 that we have a great high priest. So our second point, which we see in verse 21, is that we have a great high priest. We can have assurance of salvation not only because Christ's body was torn for us, but also because we have a great high priest who is Christ. Fellow believers, we can do away with the former sacrifices, the priests, the tabernacle, the feasts, since they were all pictures of the ultimate priest that we have through Christ, who is our sacrifice and dwells with us here. The core message of all of Hebrews is that Jesus is better than all of that. Why would you want to go back? What are some things that we seek to go back to in the Christian life? 
Don't we sometimes try to make Christianity based on our good works? Or don't we want to be in control of our religion? Are there times when you want to be your own priest? Well, the writer of Hebrews emphasizes emphasizes that if we go back to our former religious ways of sacrificing animals and going to the Levite priesthood for forgiveness of sins, we have missed the high priest who defeated death once and for all on the cross. There are also times when we present our good works to Christ, which are dirty rags without the blood of Jesus. We need Christ desperately as our high priest. Why would we ever want to go back to something incomplete or our own self-righteousness? What a disaster that would be. Well, the hymn of Rock of Ages in verse 3, which we know well, says, Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress, helpless look to thee for grace. Foul I to the fountain fly, wash me, Savior, or I die. We give Christ nothing, yet he makes us white as snow. We have all heard the saying that the grass is greener on the other side. Um, is used to convey what many people believe, that if they could just change their situation or change their job situation, um, that they would be better off. And so, but we know that, um, and we know that this is not true, ultimately. And this is very much what Hebrews is saying as well. Yet God, through the writer of Hebrews, tells us that we have a great high priest who is the Messiah, and why would you want to go back to the old system in the Old Testament? In summary, from verses 19 through 21, we see that we have a new and living way to God. The word new in the Greek literally means just slaughtered. It's related to many religious sacrifices that, they, that the Israelites have been doing in the tabernacle, which is fulfilled through Christ. The blood of Christ has been spilled on the cross, and the curtain has been in the temple has been torn. And so we have free access to our Lord and Savior. Brothers and sisters, this is absolutely amazing and spectacular. It is totally unlike any other religion in the world. If you do not know the Savior, repent and believe that he spilled his blood for you and is resurrected on the third day. And see your sin, but also see your need for the Savior. If you are a believer, know that you have eternal access through the blood of Christ to come to Christ and be embraced by him. Hebrews 7.25 summarizes this reality when it says, Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to, to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Hebrews is ultimately a sermon and not a letter as well. Thus, like many sermons, he makes extended arguments and then interrupts his arguments with practical exhortations and applications. So verses 22 through 25 are one of those application passages. They, there are really three clear applications that we see in this passage and three let us statements. Let us draw near to God. Let us hold fast 
and let us consider. Let's start with drawing near to God in verse 22. Verse 22 says, Let us draw near with a true heart, in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed through pure water. Our primary way to draw near to Christ is through prayer. Prayer is difficult for many of us. It is difficult for our fleshy desires to take time out of our day to quiet ourselves and pray to our Lord and Savior, who desires for us to talk to him. Uh, Many times the hardest things to do that are edifying are also things that brings us the most reward as well. Brothers and sisters, this reality is very true with prayer. Prayer is much more than merely asking God for things. Prayer, as Psalm 62, 8 says, is pouring out your heart before him. Brothers and sisters, prayer is much more than just merely asking God for stuff. It is so much more than that. It is a conversation with God. It is heart work, as Guy Richard says in his book called Persistent Prayer. Guy Richard also explains in his book, to say that prayer is pleading is therefore simply to say that it is an expression of the Christian life. When we pray, we engage in heart work. We commune with the Lord, and we experience real intimacy with the God of the universe. This is absolutely incredible. God invites us to draw near through prayer in confidence. We have this confidence through the blood of Jesus. Not only that, but prayer is the relationship glue, as Guy Richard explains, that ties us to Christ through a union with him. So how do we come to the Lord in prayer? We come to Christ with a sincere heart and with assurance of faith. A true and sincere heart is the opposite of a hypocritical or doubtful heart that many of us come to the Lord with. How many times do we come to the Lord with a heart that is not pure and repentant or do not even come at all to Christ? Christ cares about our most innermost being. Guy Richard goes on to explain, prayer is therefore necessary manifestation of an ongoing faith relationship with God. And for that reason, prayer is absolutely needful for salvation. I think that if we truly believe that prayer is absolutely needful for salvation, then we would be ever more fervent and, more, and have urgency in our prayer life. Secondly, we must also pray with full assurance of faith. What does that mean? Well, it goes back to all the promises of God throughout the whole Old Testament and the book of Hebrews. Hebrews 6, 11 through 12 explains this fact, saying, And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness and to have full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Thus, this is not a blind faith, as many in the culture believe faith is, but this is assured faith upon the promises of Christ, such as the promise of the second coming of Christ. A.W. Pink says, Full assurance 
of faith points to the heart resting and relying upon the absolute sufficiency of the blood of Christ, which is shed for my sins, and the efficacy of his present intercession to maintain my standing before God. Faith looks away from self and eyes the great priest who takes feeble praise and petitions, renders them acceptable to God. But let not Satan deter any timid child of God, but drawing near unto him, because fearful that he neither possesses a true heart of full assurance of faith. No, he cannot consciously come with them. Then let him earnestly come unto the throne of grace for them. Brothers and sisters, this is our hope. We have a father, we have a good friend who is able, who can come to even when we feel less than adequate to come to him. About a year ago, I was really struggling with my prayer life. I asked one of my professors if he had any tips for getting my prayer life up to par. And he told me and said simply, just do it. I was thinking, man, uh, and he said also, don't overthink it, but just do it. And I was thinking to myself, well, thanks a lot. I already know that. But can it be more than merely just doing it? The more I thought about it, I started to think that was really a profound statement. In many ways, prayer is like talking and getting to know a good friend. Prayer is relational and conversational. To get to know God, we must communicate to him. We can't get to know someone without clear and vulnerable communication. The same is true with our holy and loving Savior. Additionally, look at the last part of verse 22. It says, With our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. This is a reference to the washings that the priests and the Levites did when they were entering the holy place of the tabernacle. This is explained also in Titus 3, 5, and 6. He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, he, he washed of regeneration and renewal of the Holy, through the washing of re, and regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit to whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. Brothers and sisters, we are washed through the Holy Spirit just as the Levites were washed before they went into the tabernacle. The second point of application is found in verse 23, which says, Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Do you remember the time when you made your, first, when you made your profession of faith? Before the church, I remember mine well when I was 14 years old. Since the writer of Hebrews does not make it clear that he is talking about specific confession, I think that we can apply this verse to our own personal confession and faith when we come to Christ publicly before the church. This is the confirmation that you make, that you renounce your own wisdom, and that you embrace Christ as your prophet, priest, and king. Fellow believers, we have confidence in the Lord's promises, since he promises that he will never leave us nor forsake us. 
I can look back to God's faithfulness in my life as well. I have struggled with many anxieties and a little bit of depression throughout my life. Yet God has proved faithful even through my challenges throughout my life. And I'm sure that he's been faithful to you as well. So the third let us statement and point of application in this passage is found in verses 24 and 25, where it says, Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting, neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Brothers and sisters, this is the picture of what the local body of Christ should be. Sadly, even in the PCA, our own denomination, according to the Pew Research website, only 44% attended, to ch- attended church once a week. It is so sad that men and women, even in our own denomination, don't attend church every single Sunday. Especially when we waver in our assurance of faith, we must draw near to Christ and his people. The church is the place that God has orchestrated for us to gain assurance of faith. Although life in the church is many times messy because of sin, um, it is crucial for our well-being as believers that we be involved in the church. Interestingly, the word love appears in this passage, which emphasizes a true and selfless love is ultimately relational and outward-focused, not inward-focused. Without being involved in the local church, you will not have the encouragement and the stirring of your fellow believers. It goes both ways as well. You will not be able to encourage others as well in their faith as well. So Hebrews 3.13 emphasizes this reality as well when it says, But exhort one another every day as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Brothers and sisters, we ought to encourage each other every day in our faith. The believer of Jesus is non-island. We need the community of believers, as messy as it is sometimes. We need to be involved in the gospel community that God has given us. We need our brothers and sisters in Christ to encourage us in the race. This reality is displayed all over scripture. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. Megan Hill, in her wonderful book called A Place to Belong, Learning to Love the Local Church, talks about this, mentioning that God will not forsake us when we meet together. She says, Dear Christian, in light of these glorious realities, don't forsake the church's assembly. Be there when you are rejoicing. Be there like Christ himself when you are facing trials. Be there when you are tired and when you are doubting. Listen to God's word read and preached. Sing the songs that God's people have always sung. Join your hearts to prayers that ascend to God's throne and witness the water of baptism. There's nowhere else on earth that you will be nearer to heaven. Brothers and sisters, 
This is the reality that we take part in when we engage in God-honoring gospel community. This is the closest that we will ever get to heaven, so we must take advantage of it. Revelation 21, 2 through 3 explains this beautiful reality in John's vision. And I saw the holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is the man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. So the hymn that we are about to sing is by a man named William Cooper, who lived in the 1700s. He was a man with many mental, spiritual challenges, like many have today. He constantly wrestled with depression, anxiety, and he wrestled with his assurance of faith as well, as I'm sure that some of us have struggled at times as well with our assurance of faith. He also attempted to commit suicide three times, which all failed. He went through much suffering throughout his life as well. But even up to death, there was very little clear evidence that he was a believer, and he believed that he was what he called a castaway. Yet one of his relatives who was there when he was dying, named John Johnson, um, did notice that he had an interesting expression the expression was that of calmness and composure, mingled as it were with a holy surprise. Faith Cook, in her book on hymn writers, says that it is not fanciful to suppose that holy surprise was marked, his, that marked his expression was due to the discovery that he was no castaway, after all, but a child of God. So as we close, our great high priest, who is Jesus, invites us to come draw near to his loving arms in prayer through faith and embrace the hope that we have through his promises. And he invites, into, and he invites us into the body of Christ, which is the community of believers, which is founded on his love and on our love for our fellow believers. Let's pray together. Dear Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your word, um, how glorious it is, how uh, I pray that we would meditate on this passage throughout the week, the coming week, that we would learn about your word more and more, that we would delve deeper into your word, that we would embrace our great high priest who's gone um, through the earth, that he's lived a perfect life yet and suffered in the place of us. And we thank you so much for that wonderful gospel. And I also pray that you would help us and guide us as we engage with our fellow believers who we love and cherish. And I pray that we would seek to um, be with them, that we would seek throughout the week, on Wednesday nights, throughout the week, that we would seek to care for our fellow believers in our church and beyond through prayer and through being with them. And I thank you so much for this wonderful evening that we can be together and worship you, our glorious God, whose name we pray in. Um, amen.
The Westminster Pulpit is courtesy of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. You are welcome to worship with us on Sunday mornings at 8 or 11 a.m. To learn more or have questions about the gift of salvation through Christ Jesus our Savior, contact us at westpca.com. Thank you, and may Christ be glorified through this ministry, the Westminster Pulpit.